Thank you for sticking with the Mutual Audio Network, where imagination and relaxation blend. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. The humble beginning of a journey that will end in history. Today, on Chatterbox Audio Theater. Hi everyone, this is Bob Arnold, Executive Director of Chatterbox Audio Theater. Today I am bringing you the fourth in our 12 shows in 12 months initiative. Last month we brought you the epic story of Theseus and the Minotaur, and today we are shifting from the epic to the intimate for a one-woman show written and performed by Jasmine Miller. Before we get started, I want to say thanks to everyone who submitted auditions during our open call for auditions uh, for our upcoming release, The Warriors. We got a great group of auditions. We pulled a great cast from it. We are recording that show right now, so it will be coming up in the next couple of months. If you like today's show, I hope that you will share it with a teacher, a mentor, a parent, or some other educator in your life. Um, it's one of those kinds of shows I think is, is perfect for those folks. I think they would really enjoy sharing it with the people that they teach. But fair warning, today's show does contain some pretty strong language and some fairly intense scenes. Uh, so if you do want to share this show with a younger audience, with Jasmine's help, we have created an edited version of Journey of Truth that we're making available on our website, chatterboxtheater.org. Um, it's shorter and it's more appropriate for younger audiences. It's a little less intense. So uh, I hope you'll check that out as well on our website. I'll be back after the show with a preview of next month's release. For now, thanks for listening and enjoy Journey of Truth. Chatterbox Audio Theater presents Journey of Truth, written and performed by Jasmine Miller. children you're looking strange like you seen a ghost it's just me Isabella talking to God as I do from time to time well some of you talk to him don't you some of you when you sleep some of you when you wake some of you I bet you talk to him when you're in that room you know that room when you're in that room with the man and you tell him everything you've done and he just sits back there and he listens, what's that room called? That's right, a confessional. That's the one, honey. And some of you talk to him and you're not even sure if he's there. Well, it's no trouble to talk, children. All you have to do is open up your mouth and talk. It's not hard, but talking is a two-way street. Because if you're talking, you best be listening. There's an answer waiting there on the other side. So, what is that voice saying to you? Well, I'll tell you what he says to me. He says, Isabella, you cannot stay here, so travel light. So how's about everybody repeat that after me? Say, Isabella, you cannot stay here, so travel light. Yes, that's it. I'm going to leave my burdens right here. Leave bondage here. 
Some of you have been in bondage before. It's nothing nice, oh, I know, and some of you, you don't really know what bondage is yet, but if you live a little, it'll come knocking at your door. And some of you, you're still in bondage. But I think there's enough room for us to leave all our burdens here, so how's about everybody say that? Say, Isabella, I'm going to leave my burdens here, and I'm going to travel light. Bondage for me, children, began many years ago. I was a slave to the Ardenburg family along with my mother and father and those of my brothers and sisters who hadn't yet been sold away. But it wasn't until the age of nine that I truly began to understand the trouble that I was in. You see, it was so cold that day in Ulster County. Uh, But you'd think it was the county fair. Why, the people were jolly. The children were buying candies and things. But it wasn't the county fair. It was the Ulster County slave auction. And black bodies were huddled together like a lot of sheep. My, we were so cold. And I remember holding on to my mother and father as the bidding began with a strong, tall, dark slave named Hull. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I said good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Ulster County Slave Auction. I am your auctioneer on today. The bidding will start at 9 o'clock, not a minute later. Haul and that merchandise, boy. Let's commence with the auction. Well, get on up there, boy. Now, what am I to bid for this sturdy specimen here? He's good and strong, big and burly, almost kind of monstrous looking. Oh, now this is a special nigger. Well learned and field handing and potato planting. I think I'll start him at about $500. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, $500. The bid will start at $500. $500, do I have $500? All right, thank you, $500. $550, and about $550 there. All right, $600 there. Thank you, $600. Do I have $650? $650, and about $650 there. Well, 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 $650 to the pretty lady down front. You go 700, I'll give you the two for one special. No? All right, 700, do I have 700? 700 there, thank you, 700, 750 here. All right, do I hear 800? 800, come on, folks, 800, 800 here. Thank you, 800, 850, anybody want to go 850? 850, anybody 850? All right, 800 going once, going twice, sold to the gentleman here. And children... Before I knew it, I had been pushed from my flock in front of what seemed to be wolves. And this is where my war begins. All right, the bidding for the nigger girl will start at $70. I got 70 over here. Thank you, 70. Do I have 80? $80. 80 to the pretty lady. All right, 85 here. Thank you, 85. All right, 90 here. Anyone want to go 95? Anybody 95? 95 here. All right, well, 100 here. 110, anybody 110? 110, anybody 110? All right, 100 going once, going twice. Sold to the pretty lady down front. And as it turned out, they found my mother and father too old and worthless to be sold off as anybody's slave. And by the grace of God, Master Neely lived right here in Ulster County. I thought that was the best possible thing that could have happened. Until the wagon ride with Mrs. Neely. Oh, at least 
must hate it when men look at me. Doesn't he know a married woman when he sees one? Oh, what a flirt and a boy! Oh, but he is a good salesman, wouldn't you agree? Well, if it hadn't been for Randall's old spinster wife, Judith. Oh, by Judith, it was so very good seeing you, I would have gotten a great deal on the baboon there. What do they call it? Hugh? Oh, hull, Hugh, hell, heavens, whatever the thing's monstrous. Why, I fear if they were all that size, they'd eat the common people. Which reminds me, what do they eat? And how often do I feed it? This is my first, you know, I'd been begging and begging John for one, but now it seems that we have the funds to afford such a thing. Isn't that nice? Yes, isn't that very nice, Elise? Oh, but I must go. But do take care and do stop by for dinner. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. All right. I love you too. Yes. Bye. Oh, my God. I hate that woman. It's like she keeps talking and talking and talking. You can hardly get a word in edgewise with her. Hmm. Belle? Well, that's your name, isn't it? Isabella? I said your name is Belle, is it not? Are you hard of hearing? Oh, my God. Don't tell me that you are deaf and dumb. Children, I didn't know what these sounds were coming from her mouth, but all I knew was that they sounded foul, evil, and heavy, and I thought, well, maybe I ought to pray for her. What are these sounds coming from your mouth? Joseph, stop the wagon! And the more I prayed, the more she spoke the devil's own language. This must be the devil's own language, she speaks. Or some illness that must be shaken from her. You will be cured of this illness, even if it must be beaten from you. And that was the way it went. Poor behaviors such as speaking Dutch and standing tall were quickly beaten from me. And in time... I learned that I was to be what the master said I was to be. You are a worthless wretch. Say that. I am a worthless wretch. Very good. Now the next time I ask you to perform a duty... I expect it to be done in full. I ask Margaret to come and bring me a little help around here. She brings me some worthless knave who can't even speak the language. You are quite lucky to be in a household such as this one. By now, you'd be dead elsewhere. The grace of God I put up with you. Now wipe the blood from this floor. Prepare the meal. Your mistress is hungry. Do not delay. After moments such as those with the master, I held on tightly to memories. I thought of them over and over again in my mind to give me comfort. I thought of them in the low Dutch language they were spoken in. Memories of Mama Bet. In the dark hours of the night, I knew that if she wasn't in the basement where all of the other Ardenburg slaves slept, chances were she was outside looking at the stars. And t'was likely she was looking for her peace. 
and she would speak to me in low Dutch. So much ails me, child. But Isabella, there is a God who hears you and sees you. He lives right up there in the sky, and when you are beaten or cruelly treated or fall into any trouble, you must ask help of him, and he will always hear you and help you. Those stars... Look up, child. Those are the same stars and the same moon that look down upon your brothers and sisters. Though they are ever so far away from us and from each other. Now kneel down, Belle, and repeat after me. Say, on the vader the end gemelen zet, you know more the gegelet. On the vader the in the gemel and set, you know more the gegelet. Who crone crecom who will his slide, he like the hemel as good the arde. Who crone crecom who will his slide, he like the hemel as good the arde. She had taught me the Lord's Prayer in low Dutch, and she told me to pray it whenever I needed something to happen. And before I knew it, you, God, Gave me a better master and a new mistress. I thought that meeting Master DeMont was going to be a lot like meeting Master Neely for the first time. They call you Belle, don't they? Well, why don't you stand up straight, Belle, and go ahead and look at me? It's all right. Come on, look at me. There. Oh, now it uh, looks like you got a pretty bad beating there. You must remember that unruly slaves are not tolerated here. Is that understood? I shall be good to you. Oh, Master DeMont was so kind and so merciful to me, Lord. He's a good man, Lord. I try to be a good slave to him, and he knows it. He said it himself. Though Mrs. don't think so. God, you ever see the way she be looking at me sometime? Like, like she's trying to figure me out or something. Like I got secrets. Well, I ain't got no secrets. And like she's trying to think of every way possible to make me miserable. And she never appreciate what I do. She thinks I have do my work. John! The girl is worthless. I'm tired of these half jobs. Surely not, Bill. Oh, Sally, I don't want to hear it. Why, this morning, I simply asked her to do the washing for the day. And not only did she do the washing, Sally, she boiled the potatoes, she dusted the whole house, and scrubbed the floors. Yes, John. And like I said, she half does them. I have to send Kate behind her to finish her half-done duties. And if she's gonna half do them, John, she's a worthless wretch. That wretch is better to me than any man. For she will go and do a good family's washing in the night and be ready to go in, into the fields in the morning where she will do as much raking and binding as my best hands. As much work as any man, Lord, a dozen of them. Mm-hmm. Why, that's why some nights I won't sleep none so I can finish the day's work. I wait till the whole house is asleep and start on chores for the next day so that by the time Master DeMont wakes... Morning, sir. I can see that look on his face. Oh, his face. Sometimes I wonder, Lord... If he looks like you, or you like him, 
Same nose, same eyes, same hair, same smell. Other slaves don't like it, though. And they don't like me for it. Well, Lila and me, we clean. Isaac and Kate move the furniture around. And Demont comes in the room watching us work. Watching me. But as soon as he leaves, Lila and the others do what they best at. Nothing at all. He's gone. Don't you remember, don't you know, don't you remember Cotton I Joe? Cotton I Joe, Cotton I Joe, what did you make me treat you so? I'd been married 40 years ago if it hadn't been for Cotton I Joe. Hey there, Isaac. Hey there, Kate. Look at Belle here. Yes, Massa, Isaac is your best slave. Isaac is your most faithful slave. Yes, and the days I dies and goes to heaven, I sure do hope there's a big old plantation up in the sky and I just to serve a new for all the eternity. Yes, uh, can I get the dough? Can I wash your feet? Can I mop the sweat from your brow? You stop that, Lila, for I go tell it. Oh, you gon' tell it. See if I care. You ain't nothing but the white folks, nigga, anyhow. You walk like them, talk like them, head all high. You worship them. But you might as well know, you ain't never gonna be like them white folk. Ooh, and I ran and told it. Lila can go on and make fun if she want. But I'm the only one that know. I'm the only one who know who I am, and I ain't no child. I ain't no worthless wretch, neither. Master DeMont says so. Master DeMont says I'm a woman now. But they ain't. All they knows to do is to be disobedient. But Robert was disobedient, too. He was a disobedient slave, too. A few years later, I was still serving on Dumont's plantation when I met a man with the strongest will I ever did see. He lived across the way, and I loved him. Almost as much as I loved serving DeMont. Only problem was his master Caitlin told him he wasn't to see me. But that never stopped Robert. He would come by and see me when the sun went down or whenever he could get the chance. And hearing word that I was sick one night, he ran to me. I was laying on my pallet, shivering up and down, praying to get better so I could do my biddings by Master DeMott. Oh, and I was thinking about Robert when the door slowly opened. Robert, what are you doing here? Ooh, if Caitlin knew you was here, he would shh. Now I come see my baby. That's what I come to do. I ain't think about no Caitlin. If, 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 if. If if he knew my, how how much I loved you, my belle beauty, he freed me twenty times over again just just to let me be with you. Oh, Robert, let me get you something. Uh, are you thirsty? Oh, if I would have known that you was coming now with the bell, stop, stop it now. You, you ain't got to do nothing but just sit there and let me love you. I brought you something. A poem I wrote. Wrote? Robert, you can write? 
You can read too. Robert, what's a poem? Shh. Just sit there, my belle beauty, and let me read it to you. Let's see here. I look up in the sky real late one night, and I look up at the stars a-shining with light, and I says to myself, which star shined the most bright? That one there, and I name it Bill. And when the stars stopped a-twinkling and went far away, I seen the sun come up bringing on the day, and I took up my work and went on to say, oh, Bill. I miss my bell. But then, before I knew it, the sun left the sky, and I had a feeling that love was passing by, and soon enough I knew exactly why. Bell, here comes my bell. Every day since then, I wait for the stars to rise, and I look to the brightest one in the heavens and the skies, and I Seen that one shining like fireflies. My bell, always my bell. My heart was beating so that I knew it was beating for him. And without a word, he put his arm around me to keep me warm. There was nothing that I could do, nothing that I had to do to receive Robert's love or him mine. All I had to do was just be. But soon the stars set in the sky, and the sun rose up with men hollering in the distance and dogs barking. Robert was supposed to be back before sunrise, and before we knew it, men were beating on the door, cursing and carrying on, looking for Robert, and they burst in the door, and they began beating him so cruelly they fell upon him like tigers, beating him up with the heavy ends of the canes, bruising him, making him bleed so that when I looked at him, I couldn't even recognize him. And that was the last time I ever saw him. Last time these hands ever held him. He took up a family on Caitlin's plantation and died real young too. And after that, Things were different. Somehow, the days seemed slower, felt harder, dragging. I did my work like I should. From time to time, still tried to please Dumont. Like I should. But it was like my heart had flown away. I wasn't going to find it again until July 4th. On that day, I was to be freed, free to do what? I don't know, and I don't care, but all I know is that a part of me that's gone missing now was going to be found on that day. I could feel it, though Robert was gone. I found I felt bolder, like my will was stronger, like Robert had left his will of iron with me when he, when he left, and one day, lost in my thoughts, lost in the work that I was doing, lost in peeling potatoes, I... I, I as painful as that wound was, it was Dumont's disappointment that stung me like a knife. He said that a slave with a no-good hand was no good at all. No matter what I did, I couldn't please him. And though I did the work I was supposed to do, Dumont swore I hadn't paid enough dues for my freedom on that day. 
said I owed him another year's work. Imagine that. A slave is no stranger to unfulfilled promises. Just think of it. So eager for our pleasures and just foolish enough to keep feeding and feeding and feeding ourselves with the idea that we should get what we've been fairly promised and find ourselves flatly denied. Just think. How do we bear it? Why, there's the story of Ned and his master, Charles Broadhead. Ned! You're a good boy. Say, what do you think of going to visit that lady of yours when all the harvesting's over? Oh, Ned was overjoyed to see his wife who lived some 20 or 30 miles that away. So he finished the harvesting in a hurry. And sure enough, when his labor was finished, he went to his master to receive his pardon. Ned, you stupid nigger! I never said that you'd go! I said I would promise to see if you might go. And I see you cannot. But I tell you what, boy. My shoes need to get shining. And I can promise you, that'd be nicer than going to visit your wife. And without a word, Ned bent down to shine the master's shoes. Say there, Ned. Now, I done told you what you're not gonna do. Now, you plan on going anyways? Disobeying me? Yes, sir. And without a word, Broadhead picked up a huge sled stick and struck him. Broke all the bones in his head and killed him right then and right there. Dumont promised me, but the promises of man are worthless. And something inside of me knew it was time to fly. It was more than a thought, more than a feeling. It was a, a force inside of me urging me on like I wouldn't live to see another day if I didn't. So I spun the wool, did the heaviest of the fall's work until it was finished. And the very next morning, all the work was done. I packed up my littlest one and went. Oh, and I can feel him now, children. I can remember him saying so clearly on that day. Bell, these hands were born to work for a master, for sure. This body was built for labor, for sure. But I am your master, Bell, and as you mold these hands to do my work, I'll hold you in mine. With these hands you think weak, you will serve humanity and find them strong. With these healed hands you will heal, and with these hands you will no longer carry the burden of bondage, but the freedom and faith. Lay down the load and travel light. Travel light. I rebuke the bondage of slavery in the name of my God. I rebuke it. Say that, children. I'm going to lay down the load and I'm going to travel light. Not all of us have been enchained to American slavery. Some of us, by fear, duty, hate, but all of us to sin. And you know, there's something about sin. Because man will try and tell you that sin is the wrong you do. Well, that may be so. But everything you do comes out of something you believe. If this woman believes she's a chicken, she's going to behave like a chicken. 
And if this man here believes that he's the boss, well, he's going to act like he's in charge. But if we all believed we are the children of God, we are going to act like the children of God. So wrongdoing or right doing starts with a belief. Believing. It's a funny thing, that believing children. A few years ago, the free woman I was, I moved here to New York City with my son Peter when I met a woman named Mrs. Greer. Now, meeting Mrs. Greer for the first time was a strange thing indeed. She was a short, white woman, and I think that busy was the only way to explain her. And she meant everything for good. She got me involved in something called the Moral Reform Movement here in New York. What we did was help the fallen sisters given to prostitution find their way to the light again. We had to make a promise that we wouldn't do things like dancing or reading books. Well, I hadn't danced since Pinkster, and I cannot read, so this was not hard for me. And we would also have meetings, often letting what they called the spirit guide the course of things. But I wonder even now what kind of a spirit got a hold of those gatherings. I was so set on finding out. I remember one night we met in the basement of the old church a few blocks from here. The moment you came down the steps, it was as if a cloud of wetness hit you upside the face. It was dim and murky down there. Lady said it was because of all of the sin in those women's souls. All the darkness they had. And you must believe, Mrs. Greer was at the head of the Calvary. Oh, she would sit the fallen women on the first row like this right here. And before the meeting, the other sisters, we would surround them like this here. And Mrs. Greer would read a holy scripture, and then she would pray. God bless you, sisters. Hear the word of the Lord. And when he was come to the other side, in the country of the Jurgessons, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thou Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them an herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down into a steep place into the sea, and perished in the waters. The word of God, sisters, bow your heads for prayer. Dear God, we come tonight asking for your protection over this meeting. The forces of darkness surely don't want the salvation of these fallen women. Satan wants to hold them in his fiery grip. But God, you are mighty. And at your name, demons tremble. At your name, they run and hide. So we ask you to come tonight and speak. We ask you to come tonight and speak. Amen. And they will flee these women. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God and resist the devil. And he will flee you. And I do pity those demons that shall leave tonight, for we have no swine to cast them into, but only the fiery depths of hell from whence they came. And by then, everyone was amening and clapping and shouting and crying, dancing and rejoicing. Oh, it was quite a sight. Then Mrs. Greer fell upon one of the fallen sisters and cast her hand on the girl's forehead and cried, Be gone in God's name, be gone. Yes, Father. 
The girl's eyes rolled in the back of her head and she was violently shaking. I felt more fear than I did joy when suddenly a force grabbed a hold of me and pulled me to the floor. At first I thought it might have been the Holy Spirit, the violent spirit that had gotten a hold of that woman there, until I realized it was one of the ladies caught in a fit. She was screaming and crying and carrying on with her arm about my waist like all the other ladies who screamed even louder when I fell to the ground. So I started to scream only I was hollering out of fear. And the louder I got, the more carried away the ladies got. They thought that the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, and they were celebrating. They began stomping and clapping and shouting hallelujah, only they forgot that they were stomping and clapping and shouting hallelujah on top of me. What I suffered more bruises and blows to the head, throat, and stomach than I could handle. And that's all I remember. I woke up in pain, pain all over. I opened my mouth to speak, but it felt like somebody had ripped my throat out of my own neck. My head was beating like my heart, and Mrs. Greer was standing over me. Everyone was gone. What happened? She said that I caught the Holy Spirit. But I knew I had all my wits beat out of me. That was the last meeting I ever went to. I don't believe you had much to do with that one, God. Forgive me if I am wrong, but I believe not. Then there was Pearson. Mr. Pearson, poor man, who I worked for from time to time. Met him through doing some work for the Magdalene Girls Asylum. He was protector over that. And I had such a respect for him in his, in his work. He had such a strong devotional spirit, just like Mrs. Greer. And just like Mrs. Greer, he saw black skin as more than useful for slavery or doing work for a higher man. He saw it more for, for serving you, God, and all of creation. He saw himself the same way. But he saw other things, too. He said he saw one day where God told him, Thou art Elijah, the Tishbite. Gather unto me all of the members of Israel at the foot of Mount Carmel, and from that day on he thought himself to be a prophet. But the day he met Matthias, he thought himself to be complete. Matthias was an even more interesting man than Pearson. The two of them had a meeting one afternoon and allowed me to observe their fellowship and their findings, and I say, they both walked into that room two men named Pearson and Matthias, and they left, one being John the Baptist, and the other, God the Father. They both realized they had the same belief and that they felt the same way. They even discovered that they were called on the exact same date to be John the Baptist, and God the Father. And they saw me as useful because of my color and said that I could understand folks, slaves, and different colors of people, and that I was needed. The meeting ended in singing, washing one another's feet, and dinner. They believed they were kindred spirits. They believed the kingdom had come, and so did I. Soon after... Matthias, or God the Father, 
would preach to the people with John the Baptist at his side. Oh, his beard was long and his eyes were sharp. And he would command John the Baptist to read the 10th chapter of Revelations. And then he spoke. All real men will be saved. All mock men will be damned. Now when a person has the Holy Spirit... Then he is a man, and not till then. They who teach women are of the wicked. The communion is all nonsense. So is prayer. Eating a nip of bread, drinking a little wine won't do you any good. And all who admit members into their churches and suffer them to hold their lands and houses, their sentences, depart, ye wicked, I know you not. And all females who lecture their husbands, their sentence is the same. Woman is the capsheaf of the abomination of desolation full of all deviltry. In a short time, the world will take fire and dissolve that is combustible already. All women not obedient had better become so as soon as possible and let the wicked spirit depart and become temples of truth. And all who eat swine's flesh are of the devil and just as certain as he eats it, he will tell a lie in less than half an hour. If you eat a piece of pork, it will go crooked through you, and the Holy Spirit will not stay in you, but one or the other must leave the house pretty soon. And Christians nowadays, always setting up for the Son's kingdom, it is not his, it is the Father's kingdom, why? It puts me in the mind of the man in the country who took his son into business and had a sign made, Hitchcock and Son. But the son wanted it, Hitchcock and Father. And that is the way with your Christians. They always talk of the son's kingdom first and not the father's kingdom. You see, Matthias and all of his disciples didn't believe that God was going to come back and make the dead rise. No. He believed that the spirits of the saints before us would enter in the bodies of believers right now. And then we would have heaven on earth. He believed him and Pearson were the first fruit. And I believed them too. I noticed that Pearson would start to fast once a week, not taking food or drink for a whole day. And when I'd ask him why, he simply told me that fasting gave him light in the things of God. And, well, I figured if fasting's going to give him light inwardly and spiritually... I need it just as much as anybody else, so I'll fast too, longer than him even. So instead of one day, I went three days and three nights with no drink, no food, no water, no bread. The first day was so hard by the afternoon, I felt like I was just going to fall into the pot of potatoes. I was stirring to boil. Oh, just one, Lord, just one. Oh, but light and the knowledge of the things of God. And by the second day... It was easier just watching people walking on the street, listening to John the Baptist talk about what was right and wrong in the world and trying to busy myself with some more work. If I could just find some strength to do it. And by the third day, by the third day, yep, by the third day, didn't eat no food, no water, no, no strength.
Then on the fourth morning, I stood up to get myself to the pantry, and when I gained enough strength to eat a six-penny loaf and some water, I, I waited for the light of God to come into my mind. I waited for the light of God to enter my mind. I waited for the light of God to enter my mind. But then I found I had more lightness of body than anything. Oh, I felt so light, like I could skim around like a gull. But no lightness of mind, though. By now... I'd saved up enough money to hold my own anywhere. After years of working in people's houses, I had enough to supply not just my needs, but my wants. But Pearson counseled me and told me I ought to invest that money into a common fund to be drawn on from by the faithful. And that's just what I did. Poor man Pearson. Close to around the time when the kingdom had come to earth, he lost his wife Sarah. She died of not eating. She was fasting and fasting at the Lord's command, she said, and working and working also at God's command, she said, till one day she just faded away. And her funeral was most chilling of all. Pearson was to himself that day, very quiet but seemed to be in touch with something, or trying to get in touch with something. And suddenly, he opened up his Bible and declared, The Lord shall raise him up! The Lord shall raise him up! The Lord shall raise him up! Sarah has passed in faith, and she shall rise again. O Lord, God of Israel, thine own word declares that if the elders of the church anoint the sick and pray over him, the Lord shall raise him up. We have taken thee at thy word. We have anointed her with oil and prayed the prayer of faith, and thou knowest the faith in which the dear woman died. And in this faith we children live. Now, Lord, we claim thy promise. No, God is not a man that he should lie. And if this dear woman is not raised up this very day, thy word will fall to the ground, thy promise is null and void, and these gainsaying infidels will go away rejoicing in their unbelief. Lord God, thou canst deny thy promise. Thou knowest we have performed the conditions to the very letter. O Lord, now fulfill thy promise. Now, Lord, O let not thou enemies blaspheme. Show that thou hast mighty power, that thou canst raise the dead. We believe, Lord. Come now, Lord, and make good thy word. And let this assembly see that there is a God in Israel. And as Elijah Pearson spoke, the women were checking for signs of life. Sarah? And we waited and waited till the doctor could stand the silence no longer. And Sarah, as still as ever, they buried her that very hour. 
Until the day he died, Elijah Pearson still held on to the promise that his wife should come back to him. Things became strange, eerie in the kingdom. Soon we had moved on to honor in private, who we thought was our God the Father in the flesh. Dark years, children, and I can tell you firsthand that faith in man as God brought scandal, adultery, jealousy, fear, hate, and murder, a religion that cannot fill what God can, a religion that cannot wipe away what God can, a religion that cannot raise the dead, a powerless religion. I rebuke bondage of the mind in the name of my God. Say that, children, I'm going to leave my burdens here, and I'm going to travel light. Amen. Because small is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth to life, and I'm not trying to get through nobody's gate and walk nobody's way, carrying what I done carried. And the lighter you travel, children, the longer and further you'll go. I know it. The morning I left slavery, I took my youngest baby by icy daybreak and walked to freedom. No plan. Just went, walked, and found myself atop a hill, face to face with the sun. And in fear, I looked back because by now, well, not a soul in sight. Where to now, Lord? Levi. Levi Rowe, an elderly man who lived nearby, and when I went to him, he directed me to the Van Wagners, like people I've never met before. They listened to my story and didn't turn me back around. They simply gave me employment and assured, and assured me that they never turned the needy away. But it wasn't long before DeMond came looking for me. Late one evening, there was a knock on the door. Bill, you've run away from me. I did not run away. I walked away. Oh, come now, Bill. Don't make this difficult. You must come back with me. Oh, no? Well, I shall take the child. Excuse me. I I have never been in the practice of, of buying slaves or selling slaves. And I do not believe in slavery. But allow me to purchase... Isabella's services for the balance of a year. And the child's, too. This is nothing that a fee cannot solve. Come now, what is your charge? And right then, and there, Isaac Van Wagner bought my services for $20 and my child's for 5 And as DeMond left, I sat dying to know more of this new master. No, 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 Isabella, do not call me your master. For there is but one master, and he who is your master is my master as well. Well, what shall I call you? Uh, Call me Isaac, and here is my wife, Maria. This picture was strange to me indeed. A white woman, a white man, honest faces extending hands to shake mine as equals. An inner strength And love began to grow in me that day. And years later, it was this strength, grown into something greater, that helped me find my son Peter, sold to Alabama to a man named Foster. Now, 
The sale of Peter was illegal from the start. And even I know that any sale out of the state of New York is against the law. And upon hearing about it, I went directly on foot to my old master, DeMont, only to find his wife, Sally DeMont. The fear in me was gone, and I demanded to know where he was. Ah, oh, fine fuss to make about a little nigger. Why haven't you got as many of them as you can see to take care of? It's a pity tis the niggers aren't all in Guinea, making such a halloo-baloo about the neighborhood and all for some paltry boy. Have your child again. How can you get him? And what have you to support him with, if you could? Have you any money? No, I have no money. But God has enough, or what's better, and I will have my child again. Why I felt so tall within, I felt as if I had the power of a nation with me. And when I heard that the court takes care of problems such as mine, I marched with Jesus holding my hand to the courthouse. Just a lawyer wasn't going to do the trick. Just a couple of men who knew the law weren't going to help me either. No, I went straight for the grand jury to make my complaint. I marched up the stairs to the courthouse, finding my way through a crowded room, said to be where I'd find the grand jury, and boasted my way to the front. And then I searched for the grandest-looking man of them all. I understand that you gentlemen are busy, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. But I have a complaint that must be heard out until my boy Peter is safely back with his mother, and that's me. Now, I understand the law says that no slave children are to be sold out of state. Well... My boy, five years of age, born here in New York, has been sold to Alabama. Sold without my permission, without New York's permission. Imagine that. At this rate, he'll be a slave forever, and I cannot let that happen. Oh, no, I will not let that happen. I will not stop until Peter is safely with me. And they began talking among themselves, whispering and looking me up and down until... A man led me to the table and gave me this book and made me swear to it that Peter was my boy. All right. So I put that book to my mouth and thought up all of the swear words I could possibly think of and began to save them right through the pages. It's a strange thing to do, but if it's going to bring me my boy back, I'll swear as long as I need to. And all was quiet. Then they burst into laughter, uncontrollable laughter, until the man who led me to the table explained to me what he really meant by swearing to that book. I found out later that that book was the holy word of God. My first meeting with the holy word of God, and I'm cussing like a sailor. But I didn't stop till Peter was safely in my arms. My boy. Years ago, Peter hopped ship to sail the world in front of him, and I haven't seen him since. When I first learned of his duties at sea, how my heart sank, but soon he would write letters to me, and upon receiving these letters, I would grab the smallest child near me and have him read it to me. I listened with all of me to stories about sea breeze, the smell of salt in front of the whole crew, tales of storms at sea that he thought the ship would never make it through. 
Tales of miles and miles of water in front of them for days, weeks. And then he'd see a line far away in the darkness, turning into trees, turning into land. Oh, and then I knew well, well. Peter and his mother aren't so different after all. Storms come. You get so far out into the deep water, you doubt you'll ever see solid ground again. That's why if you're in bondage, children, confess it. Confess the hold that's on you so that you might be free of it. And only when you're free can you travel. And only when you've let go of the heaviness of hate, fear, and defeat can you travel light in love, boldness, and victory. Yes, thank you for that thought, Lord. Love, boldness, and victory. I think I'm ready to travel. And children, if you're wondering where I'm going, well, I don't know the answer to that myself. But do any of you, do you know where you'll be tomorrow? Do you know where you'll be ten years from now? As for me, I only know the next step in front of me. And that's into the darkness out there. And that step is faith. And when you travel, know that you're not alone. For someone is walking with you when you're unsure. Someone is walking with you when you're tired. And when you can't walk no more, someone carries you. Listen for his voice. And if anybody asks for Isabella, tell them that she is not here. I rebuke that name as well, for the truth is in me now. The truth speaks to me, and the truth speaks through me. For I am Sojourner Truth. Oh. Sojourner Truth. Travel light, children. You have been listening to Chatterbox Audio Theater's production of Journey of Truth, written and performed by Jasmine Miller. Instrumentation by Zach Williams. Vocals by Isabel Whitman. Original artwork by Natalie Eddings. Produced by Robert Fudge. Directed by Leslie Barker. This is Levi Frazier, Jr. The mission of Chatterbox Audio Theater is sparking imaginations through outstanding theatrical recordings. Download our shows, meet our cast and crew, and make a donation to support our work at www.chatterboxtheater.org. And that's our show. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks to Jasmine for allowing us to record uh, that incredible piece, that incredible performance. Visit our website, chatterboxtheater.org. We've got an interview where I sit down with Jasmine and talk a little bit about the genesis of the piece and about some of the stuff she discovered about Sojourner Truth as she was researching this piece. Um, It's a really interesting conversation, so I hope you'll check that out. Also, before we go, I want to say thanks to Jimmy and Natalie Jalinek, as well as Sally and Brad Hines, for their recent generous contributions to Chatterbox. Thanks so much. Up next. History Management Solutions, how can I help you?
Three office drones punch the clock in a dystopian future, never expecting to get the assignment of a lifetime. What is my assignment? Oh, yes. Well, you finally got it. You're getting rid of an entire era. If those who forget the past are condemned to repeat it, what becomes of those who destroy the past? When was the last time you were willing to give up everything? For an abstraction, for, for an idea, I'd like to know. I, I'll have to think about it. No, you won't. Because you haven't done anything like that. I haven't either. This is a funny, fascinating, utterly original show about the power of memory and history. It's an original piece written by Brett Busang, and it is called Time to Go. That's coming up next. In the meantime, remember, there's more than 48 hours of original audio theater just waiting for you in our archive at chatterboxtheater.org. Plenty of great stuff to check out. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time on Chatterbox Audio Theater. You're tuned into Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow is all things horror on Tuesday Terrors. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day. Or find Tuesday Terrors in your favorite podcast players. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together. Together.